We've been making our way through the book of Ephesians. We got chapter 5 and chapter 6 to go. So I'll give you a little bit of context that I haven't gotten into much yet, uh, but it's getting really, really relevant now. So in the city of Ephesus, if you lived there, you were called in, you were called an Ephesian. So the, the letter was written to the Ephesians. But in the city of Ephesus, there was, there was a, lot of, a lot of wicked worship happening throughout the pagan world, much like there is today, but not necessarily in the same format. Not, the temples looked different now. Uh, the gods and goddesses looked different. But every pagan religion, every pagan people, every godless people have their gods that they're worshiping. Whether or not they claim to be atheists or anything else, everyone is worshiping a god. And their life is devoted to an ideology and a perspective. But here in Ephesus, their, their goddess was the goddess Diana. And Diana, they had a magnificent temple built for, the, for Diana. Um, but Diana and the worship that took place in Diana's temple, it was particularly a sexual kind of perversion. Um, there, was, there were prostitutes that were used as a, as a form of the worship in the temple of Diana. And the whole city of Ephesus was, I mean, this was like their mascot. So, I mean, imagine, you know, you know living in Boston and being a Patriots fan back when Brady was there winning the Super Bowl season after season after season. You know, it's like everybody is a Patriots fan. It's like the thing to do, the thing to be. Well, if you're in Ephesus, like Diana was, was the thing. She was our culture. She was who we worshipped. She was who we were passionate about. She was who we pursued. So this sinful sexual culture was really, really deeply embedded into who they were. Like this was just Ephesian culture. It's just normal life for the Ephesian people. But now we've got believers people who have come to Christ. So the gospel has come to Ephesus and people have preached the gospel and said, hey, there's a king who rules over all. His name's Jesus. Oh, tell me more. Well, he died on the cross for your sins. Well, what are sins? Well, anything that opposes the will of God and he will make you new. He'll forgive you. He'll restore you and set you on a a new life and a new path. So Paul's been walking them through that, of course. Hey, I want you to keep seeing what God has done for you. And now He's know that he's washed you. Take off the old man and put on the new man. And they say, well, what do you have in mind with that? And now Paul's getting very specific. He's going, so for example, people of Ephesus, this would be something that was normal. These are old clothes that you're used to putting on. You've got to take these old clothes off and you've got to put on these new clothes. So these verses deal a lot with sexual immorality in these coming verses. So they were written to a particular people in a particular time in a particular place. But that makes them still very, very relevant for you and I in this particular moment because all Scripture is profitable for us. So we also know that every command given here is still applicable, which is, interestingly enough, the argument that gets made for the later part of this chapter as well. We'll get into that in the coming weeks. Uh, But everything in the Scriptures, sometimes we're tempted to say, well, that was because of this or that was because of that. Well, sure, of course the Holy Spirit would write and minister in a particular way to a particular people at a particular time. But we need this as well. We live, we live in a very wicked culture sexually. We live in a place where we live in a time where things have been normalized that shouldn't have been normalized. Things are being pushed that should have never been pushed. You're like, was he thinking about the extreme stuff? Yeah, and the not so extreme stuff. Anything that's outside of God's perfect design. So we're going to look at what the word has to say about that today. And we're going to start right here in verse 1. We're going to go verses 1 through 14 of chapter 5. Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But 
Sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, or, or that is an idolater, that person has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So let's go back up to verse 1, right here in the beginning. Therefore be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Be an imitator of God as a dearly beloved child. We've all seen it. We did it. You copy daddy and mommy for better or worse. Your kids copy you for better or for worse. Parents, you've seen it. It's horrifying to see your sins walking around in somebody else's body. You're going, whoa, um, I know where they learned that. It's from their mama, you know. Uh, that's the, that's the that's what you like to say, but sometimes I recognize just the opposite. go, boy, that's wrong, and I know exactly who trained you and taught you that. So this is the temptation that we have in, in our flesh, but we're commanded to be imitators of our Father as dearly beloved children. Again, we're brought back to that revelation of who we are. Who are you? You're a beloved child of the Father God. This is the framework for everything else that follows, for everything else that precedes it and everything else that follows. This is the revelation we have to have. You're dearly beloved by God. He loves you. Our, our earthly fathers were supposed to be the perfect picture of that, some of you had absolutely wicked fathers. Some of you had incredible fathers. Most people had somewhere in between. These were supposed to be the perfect image of the Heavenly Father, but they weren't. But the Heavenly Father is the perfect image of the Heavenly Father. And he's saying, I love you. You're a dearly beloved child. Now I want you to copy your daddy. Be like me and do what I do. I've made you new. This is who you are. Act accordingly. We talked about that in the previous weeks. Royalty. If you're raised up as royalty, you should behave as royalty. There's a way, there's a dignity to that lifestyle. Not a snobbery, but a dignity to that lifestyle. There's an honor that should be carried out and a duty that comes along with it. So how can we be like God? Well, it takes us back to chapter one. How can we really be like God? We need to have revelation of who we are. So in chapter one of verse 17, Paul was praying for the church. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That's what I'm praying for you. That's what he's saying you need. Man, I, I, what, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to not do? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to not do? That's not how Ephesians starts. That's where today's sermon is. But you don't judge all of the scripture off of one sermon. We're taking verse by verse, we're walking through. But remember how we got here. He's saying, I pray that you would see what the Lord has done, who he's made you, what he's done in Christ. And he walks them through that. God loves you. Here's what he's done. You've been saved by his grace. You've been saved by his grace through faith. 
It's not of your works so that nobody can boast or brag. So since he's washed you, put on these new clothes. Now here's what these new clothes look like. Like I said before, we're tempted to jump to the chapter five and go, let's get practical, let's get practical, let's get practical. But we have no ability to walk out the chapter five and six until we understand the chapter one and two to to see that God's done all the work. Now I'm just living in accordance with it, with what he's already done. So how can we truly be like God? Isn't that a high calling? Of course it is, but he's made us fit for that service. So we pray to see who we are and what we have and then he continues, what does it look like to be an imitator of God, to walk like your father? Walk in love, in verse two, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So at this time in the ancient world, everybody understood what sacrifice looked like. You would give burnt offerings to your God. And of course, this came from the true and living God. He gave this, claim, this command to the Jews. So they would burn sacrifices, and it was considered a fragrant offering that was pleasing to the Lord. They burn this animal, and it's an act of sacrifice to say, God, this is a way that we worship you. It was a good and right and temporary thing. All these animals that were, that were killed, this is a temporary representation. There's a lamb that needs to be killed, a perfect lamb. He's going to come, but he hasn't come yet. His name was Jesus. Of course, he did now come. So the animal sacrifices were temporary, but they're no longer needed. And finally, this one fragrant offering, this lamb of God, was laid on the altar. This is how we're to love one another. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to walk in love. I thought we were going to be talking about sexual immorality. Well, walking in love protects me from all sexual immorality. Just like walking in love makes sure that I keep all ten commandments. If I'm walking in love, I won't break any of the commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Well, if I'm walking in love towards you, why would I, I, I won't steal anything. You won't have to tell me don't, 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 or do, do, do. You'll just, you can just say, hey, Jermichael, if you'll just love your neighbor, then you're not going to covet his wife. If you'll just love your neighbor, then you won't lie to him and deceive him. Love covers everything. Can we, can we draw it out and get more specific? We can, we should, and the, most, and the New Testament most certainly does. People ignorantly claim, well, the, New, the Old Testament's commands, but the New Testament's grace. The New Testament has thousands of commands in it. Thousands of very precise, specific commands, all ways to just say, hey, this is the new man. This is, the, this is what you wear now. This is how you dress now because you've already been made new. So walking in love, though, <clears throat> is the command that, that surpasses all others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. All the law hangs on that. Everything else is satisfied and fulfilled in that. If I love God and if I love you, then I'll never sin ever again. But when I take a step out of love, I have taken a step into sin. So what does this look like? Jesus gives us the example. He gave himself up for us. How do I love somebody? I give myself up for them. I want to do something wrong or sinful against you, but I'm giving myself up. I'm crucifying my own flesh. Jesus laid down his life. He was crucified in the same way. This is what it looks like to walk in love. I want to say this right now. But that would be wrong and sinful, so who's going to take the hit? My flesh is going to take the hit. I crucify my flesh, and I say, you get down. You be a living sacrifice, John Michael. Crucify the flesh, because I'm going to walk in love towards my neighbor. That's what it looks like. You want to be like Jesus? Yeah. I want to be loving towards everybody. Well, that doesn't just mean nice. It means being harsh with my own flesh, so that I can be loving towards them. My love will have strength at times. I'll still tell them the truth. It doesn't mean they'll love every single thing that comes out of my mouth, 
but I won't, but I won't, my heart won't be wrong towards them. I won't be taking anything from you. That's the distinction you can make whenever, am I sinning against this person? Ask yourself, am I taking something from them? Am I taking dignity? Am I taking honor? Am I extracting something from them? Because I could confuse myself and say, I need to say something strong to my brother that he might not want to hear, but I'm saying this to be a blessing, to add holiness to him, to add health to him. That's one thing. He still might not, like, might not like what comes out of my mouth. So he doesn't get to be the ultimate judge of whether or not I've sinned against him necessarily. But I do need to judge, and the ultimate judge will certainly sort it out. Am I trying to hurt him? Am I trying to take something from him? Or am I trying to get something to him? I still may need to say strong things. I still may need to have an uncomfortable conversation. But the difference is not my own flesh being satisfied and saying, yeah. The difference is a protection, a love, a provision, a safety. So it may not always be comfort, though. This is where we have to not confuse love with niceness. And this is a mistake that I've often made. Like, that's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah, John Michael, you don't want to do it, do you? No, I don't. So crucify your flesh. Wow, I thought I, I thought I should have been nice and not said anything at all. No, that would have been cowardice on your part, John Michael, because it's your flesh that would have been uncomfortable in that confrontation because your heart is right towards your brother. Your heart's right towards your brother. Or if your heart's right towards your sister, you do need to go with a spirit of gentleness, with a spirit of humility, so that she could be restored, so that she could be strengthened, so that she could be encouraged, and so that she could be helped. Not with a, ha-ha, gotcha, caught you. And that's never the Lord's intention with us. That's not how the Lord deals with us. Think of how the Holy Spirit corrects you. Such a gentleness, such a kindness, and where you go, whew, I could have been exposed way worse. And he says, my motive wasn't to... Uh, rub, our, rub your nose in anything. My motive is restoration. That's always the Lord's plan, is restoration. Am I walking in love? Am I living in love? Well, am I treating people the way God treats people? With a kindness, giving myself up for them. Verse three, now very specific. What does it look like? He's, talk, he's still talking about walking in love, but now he's talking again to a people who live in Ephesus. Or we could say he's talking to a people who live in the United States of America in 2023. A very relevant message. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper for saints. So sexual immorality here, this is a generic term that he's using that encompasses any kind of sexual sin. Like, would it include this? Yes. Yes, it includes that. Any kind of sexual sin. But it does raise the question... Okay, but what is sexual sin? So what we're going to do, first of all, is we're going to define what isn't. We're going to just simply, because there's a long list that's even, it's, as he says later, uh, even talking about, it's shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. I'm not going to defile your ears with a long list of all the possibilities of sexual sin. We'll, we'll use some general terms today, especially keeping in mind the ears and the audience. So I'm going to do my best with all of that. Uh, but what we are going to do is define what is not sexual sin? What's sexual goodness? What does health look like in this area? So this is a gift from God. Sex is a gift from God that has been given by God to husbands and wives to enjoy in marriage. There is our place for freedom. There's our place for joy. This is the rich feast that the Lord calls good, calls it good in his design, calls it good in Genesis. And he says, it's good. He's not ashamed of it. He's not embarrassed by it. And all the details that go along with it that we won't get into here and now, because it wouldn't be appropriate. But everything that goes along with that, God says, it's good. Husband and wife, it's good. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. 
It's rich, it's pleasing, it's healthy, it's wholesome. We don't have to have church lady syndrome about it. Uh, you know, that's, that's, a ne- that's a necessary evil. That's a naughty thing. Not at all. Not at all. Now, Satan, of course, is a pervert. So Satan will always take what God has done as good and true and beautiful and then begin to create perversions and distortions of it. And there are many. But how do we know what's good and true and beautiful? A man and a woman being married, coming together in the marriage bed, loving one another, comforting one another. So all that the Lord intended for us is to be enjoyed there. There's trust, there's passion, there's comfort, and there's pleasure. Sexual expression outside of that feast that the Lord has given is sexual sin. He gives us a table to eat at and tells us to enjoy his, provi- his provision. And he says absolutely not to variations thereof. That means he's, he's per- per- prepared this amazing feast. Imagine going to grandma's and she made that amazing spread, the amazing, incredible feast. And you say, can I have a TV dinner? She says, absolutely not. I've been working on this. This is good. This is everything you need and nothing you don't. Can I go to the drive-thru? No. Can we order a pizza? No. Can I go get a gas station burrito? No. The marriage bed has everything that you need and nothing that you don't as it pertains to sexual holiness and sexual fulfillment. This is good news. <clears throat> Nothing's lacking there. And well, I feel like I would, well, the marriage bed has everything. It's good, it's true, it's beautiful. It's a healthy thing. He goes on to describe, he says, sexual immorality and impurity. So what's impurity? Impurity is a state of moral filthiness. So just an overall filth. And then he uses the word covetousness. What's covetousness? Well, thou shalt not covet is one of the commandments. Not your neighbor's house, not his wife, not his uh, male servant or his female servant or his donkey or any other critter that he's got. But what is this covetousness? It's a greediness. It's a desiring. It's an overreaching to what someone else has. When God gave us the Ten Commandments, he commanded us not to covet. And wife is mentioned there. And here the context we know is still in the same realm. We still know he's talking about sexuality here. That's the context of all these verses. This is still the context. So, hey, no, no, immor- no, no immorality in that area, no impurity in that area. <clears throat> Don't covet something that's not yours or someone who's not yours. And there were times in the ancient world where uh, everything was acceptable in this area of your life as long as you didn't mess with another man's marriage. So, the door is wide open for prostitution, uh, servants, slaves. Nothing's off limits. Don't mess with another man's wife. That's the only, that's the only standard that we have. So people felt like, oh, well, we've got a standard. You know, we're, we're, you know, we've got standards. We've got something that we live by. But the Lord has laid out something very different for us throughout his word. And he's saying, no, I've, I've given you a feast. Everything else is a perversion, a distortion. And ultimately, it's destructive. This is what a good father does. He's saying, I love you. I've designed and prepared what's best for you. Please. Don't go elsewhere. There's bad consequences and bad results that come from this. So if I walk in love as a married man, then I'm going to lovingly, then I'm going to lovingly be faithful to my wife in my mind and in my body. And I'm going to and I'm going to be loving towards women who aren't my wife by not lusting after them and not leading them in any way towards sin. If I walk in love as an unmarried man, I'm loving to women by not lusting after them and objectifying them or trying to lead them to sin as well. These all still connect back to walking in love. Everything can always connect back to walking in love. Or you're just 
don't lust. Well, that's true. But walking in love protects you from lust. Whenever my motive is an offensive one, go on offense and walk in love. Instead of like, hold back the forces of lust. Hold back all. Well, pursue love. Act like your father. This gives you something to do, something to sink your teeth into instead of something to just shoulder the door and hope to keep the door shut. That's a failing fight. Anybody ever been there? I have. That's a failing fight. Instead of, how can I pursue something? What's something I can do? How can I be aggressive with the word of God? How can I be aggressive with my pursuit of my father? Not only do I, don't look at a woman this way, don't look at a woman this way, do look at a woman this way. See her as an image bearer of the Lord. Now you have a compassion. Have you prayed for her? Have you prayed for him? Have you, oh, now, now I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to cultivate and work in me. We're getting real practical. We're getting a little uncomfortable probably because it's real talk and it's real life. I'm a real person. I don't know if anybody else in here is, but I suspect you are. So I suspect that you have had, you've been touched in some way by sexual immorality somewhere in your life at some point. Somehow it has impacted you or affected you, and you have maybe even sinned in that way. So this is helpful for us. This is good for us to understand what the Lord's standard is and what his ideals are. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. I was deeply convicted as I was preparing this message, and I repented to the Lord, and I'm repenting, uh, and I'm doing that publicly as well to confess my own sin of crude joking, foolish talk, filthiness. So uh, I, I don't want to justify or defend anything, but I do want to acknowledge that I do have a desire to hold up the good, the true, and the beautiful when it comes to a, a husband and wife enjoying God's best. But there have been times where in my desire to do so, I have gone too far. In my desire to uh, combat the church lady syndrome that I teased about a moment ago, that would say, this is uncomfortable. Um, you know, the, the, that, that's an untouchable subject. I have gone to the place of crassness in the past, all in the name of, it's good, God made it, it's good. Well, it is good. It is wonderful. It is a rich feast, and there's much to enjoy. Go read the Song of Solomon and blush. And at the same time, at the same time, I have sinned in this way and been crass and taken something that, again, it's, is it good? Man, can we have fun with this? Yes. Plenty, plenty of joy and pleasure there, and yet there's a time and a place for everything. There's a time and a place for everything. So in particular, I was really convicted on this. Uh, foolish talk and crude joking. Actually, in the Greek here, this is where we get our, our word moron from. Oh, I didn't tell you this a minute ago. Uh, the word sexual immorality that's used in the Greek is porneia. Imagine where we got what, what words we derive from there. Our word pornography comes from this. So all of these understandings, broad sexual sin, but it even includes my talk. Even whenever I'm not doing wrong with my body or even deliberately going into inappropriate places with my mind, I'm just joking. It's just a joke. I'm just joking. I'm just goofing off. Relax. That's my defense. That's, that's an easy thing. Hey, hey, you, you need to lighten up. Well, maybe. Or, or maybe I need to ha- not have talk that's out of place. But instead, what am I supposed to do? Instead, go on offense. Let there be thanksgiving. What should Christian conduct look like? What should Christian conversation be like? It should be wholesome. It should be upbuilding. Can we talk about the goodness of the marriage bed? Absolutely. But there's a way, there's an appropriate way to do that, and there's an inappropriate way to do that. Should we rejoice in God's good design and all that goes along with it? Definitely. 
Yes, eat, drink, and be filled with the marriage bed. And yet there's, there's a time and a place and a way. So we don't want to do things that are out of place. We want to do it the right way so that it's pleasing the Lord. So maybe I'm not going to taste of this kind of sin in particular by getting my hands dirty, but I still do through my conversation and speech. But that's out of place for the new man. Why? Back to verse 1. Be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Just be like your father. The right thing at the right time, appropriate, wholesome, honorable, mature, calling what is good, good, without apology. I think the church errs greatly on this subject. Greatly. It is, it is, it is held down. It's going, don't talk about it. It's really kind of a necessary evil. That is false. That's wrong. That's a perversion in itself. But we also don't want to go to a place that becomes crass or filthy. Who can, who's fit for such things? Well, this is why we need the direction and the wisdom of God. This is why we need the sharpening of one another. It's why I need you to go, hey, JM, that's, that's a bit much. And I go, you're right. I'm sorry. Thank you. I confess that sin and I put it aside. I've missed the mark and I'm back on track because you're looking out for me, because I'm looking out for you. So we're putting on the, the new clothes so that our conversation is what? Full of gratitude, full of rejoicing, full of things that build up, full of things that are wholesome like our Father. Verse five, for you may be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Wow. What is, does that mean what I think it means? Yes, it does. Does the Bible mean what it says? Yes. The person who practices this lifestyle, and I'll explain more of this in a moment, the the kind of person who practices this lifestyle will not go to heaven. I'm not shoehorning that in there. That's right there for you to read for yourself. Be a Berean and study it out. You may be sure of this. Paul wants them to know. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, because he knows what's coming next, right? I don't think it's saying, I, I, I. let nobody deceive you with the follow-up that they're going to de- try and deceive you with. Now, now I don't know if we really got to... The Holy Spirit knew that was coming. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, what things? Sexual immorality. Because of these things, <laughs> the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't let a backslider tell you what the Father looks like and what the Father is okay with and what he's not okay with. Backsliders are not safe and they cannot be trusted. People who don't walk with the Lord at all are certainly not safe and cannot be trusted when it comes to his standards. Let no one deceive you with empty words. No one who lives this way will go to heaven. Well, I've sinned that way. So there's a difference between living this lifestyle, which is what Paul's laying out here. Paul's writing to the Christians, but he's writing in this moment. He's not talking about the Christians. He's talking about a non-Christian. Anyone who lives this lifestyle, are you living a lifestyle of sexual immorality? Well, yeah, I'm living it. I'm in, like, I'm embracing it. Yes, this is my lifestyle. Like, it's who I am. Well, then that person, the scripture is saying, isn't born again. They haven't been washed in the shower of the Lord yet. 
So they can't even put on the new man yet. Yeah. They have to be made new. You, this is who you and I were. He didn't even just say, you used to live in darkness, John Michael. He says, you were darkness. You were darkness. But the Lord turned on the light. He installed a new light. And now you can put on the new man appropriately. So he is still correcting Christians, though. So as a Christian, I still have the capacity and the ability to sin. But because I sin, I have not lost fellowship with the Father. Natalie and I are married and we love each other. If we have an argument, we have not become divorced. Our fellowship may be hindered in that moment, but our relationship is not severed. So in the same way, if I sin against the Lord, my fellowship has been hindered in some way. I've grieved the Lord. My fellowship is hindered. But he, he wants me to repent and restore it immediately. He offers grace. But my relationship hasn't been severed. I've been made new and I put on dirty clothes. Yeah. He's going, wrong clothes. Take them off. And I go, oh, thank you, Lord. And he puts it back on me. And we move on yeah. with grace. Not with, an, not with an immense season of shame. But by his grace. Because he's good. Because he's kind. Because he's gentle. Because he's faithful. So for the Christian who's tenderhearted, well, praise God. The very fact that you're tenderhearted and you're going, <gasps> that's conviction of the Lord that you feel. But what he's describing here, those who practice this lifestyle, you can be sure of this. Anyone who lives this life has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. So what are empty words? I'll give you some examples of empty words when it comes to sexual immorality. That's a bit old-fashioned, don't you think? Empty words. You got to test drive a car before you buy it. Empty words. Marriage is just a piece of paper. Empty words. Or the emptiest of all. Love is love. That's not even a sentence. That doesn't even make any sense at all. Empty words. These are the things that we're hearing in, the, in our modern Ephesus. What's happening? Well, God's wrath is coming on the sons of disobedience. Do not unite with them. They're in the dark, and you're in the light if you're a child of the light. And your fruit should look entirely different from theirs. Do not be deceived by these empty words. Why? Well, because he puts such a weight on it. He's not saying, hey, guys, let's just do our best, and as long as you've done your best, he's saying, hey, guys, you can be sure of this, this lifestyle Sexual immorality, you can't inherit the kingdom of God and Christ. You, you will go to hell. There's other ways to say this. Let nobody deceive you and try and follow in and go, hey, well, actually, if you think about it like this, no, the wrath of God comes upon those sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't become partners with them. They're in the dark. You're in the light. What do we want to do then? We want to bring the light to them. And that's, that's the hard part. That's the challenge. That's where we can enter into discomfort. And that's where if we're not confident in the scripture, we almost feel like we're telling God's good news, but we're giving it with an apology. I've got some bad news is the way we approach people in sexual morality. I've got bad news. I'm really sorry to be the one to break this to you. I'm really sorry to tell you this, but you can't do that. They have a gas station burrito we have an incredible feast. The Lord has an incredible feast to offer them. And we're going, I'm so sorry to do this to you. But the Lord would like to invite you to his amazing banquet. But you're going to have to throw away your burrito. Why are we apologizing? I know you got the drive through 
I know you picked up some Hardee's drive-thru. It's been sitting in the back seat. I tried to make it worse. Uh, it's been sitting in the back seat for a couple days. And I know you've been nibbling on that. I'm really sorry to do this. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But uh, you, two, you, you two shouldn't be doing this. Who do you think you are? I'm a child of the Father who loves you. Insert your preferred sexual immorality here. That's the one, that's the one that the Lord is after. He's just trying to take my stuff. No, you don't understand there's a feast. The marriage bed is there's a feast. It's rich. It's wonderful. So what does this include? Well, it includes everything. Homosexuality. It's not good. It's not okay. It's not ideal. Sex outside of marriage in any form. It's not acceptable. It's not okay. It's not ideal. The Lord says, I've given you a feast. You're choosing something else. Well, it's convenient. We got this going on. We got that going on. This is something that used to just happen more with younger people. It's been a phenomenon that's happening more and more with older people as well. Someone's lost a spouse. Somebody else has lost a spouse. We're just going to kind of like blend together. It's even been happening in older generations now because they don't want to lose their benefits. So obedience to the Lord has a cost. And the cost is my retirement. I, I won't, I'm not willing to give up my retirement because then like, you know, my 401k thing or uh, my retirement package, or the disability is going to be different. Okay, so, so you have a limit to how you'll follow the Lord. Just be honest about it. That, that is where you are. And that's not a safe place to be. Any sexual immorality, the Lord says, I have something better. I have something ideal. And it's like with all sin. When we, when we take up the Lord, what he's really handing to us, we realize we were always giving up trash anyway. We didn't have something special or something good. We were just serving ourselves. Don't be deceived by empty words. In verse 10, what are we supposed to do? Instead, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern. So in areas, if there's an area of your life that you're saying, I don't know, I guess I'm a little unsure. Like the scripture's not really explicitly plain on this particular thing, although it is on plenty. If it's not explicitly plain on this particular thing, well then try to discern. Put effort into it. Don't be lazy about it. Love him enough to please him more. Even in areas where you may not have a precise command to obey, examine and test. That's what I was doing when it came to, like I was talking about, misconduct in my speech or misspeech, crude joking. That's an area where it might feel like, oh, is this gray? Is that gray? Okay, brother or sister. Brothers, I think, would be, would, I think we err on this probably more frequently. Are you unsure on that thing? Okay, well, then test it. Test it. Lord, Lord, I don't know if I want to ask. Then you got your answer. I got my answer too. We know. But let's be like our father who loved us and tells us to love just like him. Discern, put effort into it, love him enough to please him more. Examine it and test it. A loving spouse does this for their spouse. We examine things, we test things. And what would be, what would be pleasing to my wife? What would serve my wife well? I want to know, do you like this? Do you like that? Is this a blessing to you? I know you want your feet massaged. I know when her little feet find their way to my lap, they wiggle. And they'll wiggle a few times. And if I don't massage them, Eventually, she'll ask for them to be massaged. But now I'm trained to just, when those feet get into my lap, I just, I don't even think about it. I'm just like, I'm a robot at this point. I just I massage the feet automatically. So you, you should love to please your spouse, but you should live and love to please God. 
So if there's anybody that you've ever sought to cater to, anybody you've ever thought, I've got this preference, but they've got that one, so I'm going to go with theirs. You've done that for somebody that you've loved, right? I prefer this, but they prefer that, so I want to, I want to give to them how much more for the Lord. Oh my, I really would like this, and the Lord's going, I want this. I want what the Lord wants, because I love him, and also, <laughs> it's actually what's best. He knows what's best. He's not keeping anything from us. Verse 11 through 13. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Still, he's all in the same context here. But instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Maybe he's referencing the temple, the temple worship that was happening there. Maybe he's worshiping this, uh, talking about the stuff that was happening publicly in the streets in Ephesus. He's going, it's, it's, we don't even need to go there. Verse 13, he says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So we live in a world where it's considered worse to judge evil than it is to do evil. That's the greatest sin according to our culture. And every culture has sins, by the way. Every people group, every, every country in the world has blasphemy laws. The question just depends on which God they worship. So there's things in America that you quote, I know legally we have the freedom of speech, but there's things that's, that society will push against you if you fight against their pagan God. These are called blasphemy laws. No one acknowledges them, but there's things that you can't say. There's things that if you say, they will, they will draw some, some backlash from certain people groups as society has become more and more depraved and perverted. So you will be called evil because you're judging rather than anyone caring about the evil that's actually taking place. We live in a country, we live in a moment where it's considered worse to judge evil than it is to actually do the evil, and yet we're commanded to do just that. We're commanded to judge evil. In a spirit of gentleness, we are commanded to be truth-tellers. So the word expose here does not refer necessarily to exposure to the point of shame. It's not exposure for the purpose of humiliation. Expose has to do with refuting and revealing, to refute the lie. So um, kids... For the, all the little ones, if you haven't read this, you've got to get this storybook for your kids because it is a perfect parable for the day we live in as well. But it's the emperor's new clothes. I loved it as a little kid because it's got a naked guy in it, so it's just funny. So, you know, little, boy, little boys think that's funny. But um, so the emperor, you know the story, right? He's got uh, these, these, seams, these tailors come to town and they say, we've got this magical fabric and it's the most handsome and most amazing and only smart people can see it. Only really wonderful, smart people can see this fabric. And he goes, I'll take it. And he pays them a ton of gold, and they get to work making the king's robe. And they keep working on the king's robe, and they keep working on the king's robe. And his, he sends one of, eight, one of his aides. He's like, go check on the robe. I want to hear, how is, how is, how is it coming along? And they go, and they look, and they see nothing at all. And the guys are furiously working with their invisible thing that only really smart and honorable and wise people can see. So what does the aide do when he goes back to the king? He says, my king, it's magnificent. It's incredible. Wait till you see it, king. He didn't see anything. But he can't be the idiot who's, who doesn't see it, right? So he says, it's, it's amazing. 
So the king's going, oh man, I'm so excited to put on these new robes. And the king, a few days later, sends another aide. And the same story continues. King! The guy's like, I didn't see anything. I can't let anybody know that I'm an idiot. Mm -hmm. So what does he do? He becomes an idiot by saying, it's magnificent. And he sends another guy. And finally, the robe is brought to the king. And and all of his royal, he's surrounded by his council. All the men that have come to see the king be put on his new robe. And they bring it before the king. And, and, the, and the two men bring it out, and the king goes, Wow! I love it! It's amazing! Put it on me! And now, by this point, the whole kingdom knows about his new robes. So, of course, he wants a parade to go show his new robes. And he walks through the city, and all the people in the city are ooing and eyeing over the king's robe, because only smart people can see it. you got to be real smart. And finally, someone who's actually wise speaks up. A little child, the story says, finally speaks up and says, but he has on nothing at all. And everybody finally goes, okay, you don't see it either. Oh, you don't see it either. So the child is not intending to shame the king. But whenever you assess, and by the way, we're always making judgments. All people are always making judgments. Whenever you assess anything, you are making a judgment. Our motive is not to humiliate anyone. Our motive is the motive of the father to get them into the father's house. You are already exposed in your sin. I want you to be covered The marriage bed is a place of safety. The marriage bed is a place of security. Any other expression outside of the marriage bed is insecurity. It's wickedness. It's perversion. It's distortion. It destroys your soul and the souls of any other participants, whether or not they're pixels on a screen or whether or not they're flesh and blood or your own mental life. So our motive is to refute and tell the truth, to continue to speak the truth. Why? Because we know about the feast. We know about God's best, and I'm not sorry for it. Oh, well, can I still have this? No, you cannot have your frozen burrito from 7-Eleven. You may not. We prepared prime rib, and we prepared everything else that goes along with it. Yeah, well, I really want this. Well, you should be made new. You should come to the Father's table, first of all, and pursue Him and love Him and want Him. And then you'll understand that these are the clothes that fit you anyway. These fit you well. There's something itchy about those clothes. There's something toxic about those clothes. There's lots of problems with them. Well, I haven't seen all that. Give it time. There's pleasure in sin for a season. It is a season. Maybe your season will be short. Maybe it will be long. But it runs out. It's empty. It's damaging. What am I to do? Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. The light of God has been given. He has given us hope. He has given us help. But if we run from the light, he'll allow us to do so. John 3, 16, Jesus is talking. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, Not at all. Jesus was not sent to condemn us. Praise God. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Condemnation was my natural state already. Jesus didn't come to condemn me. I was already condemned 
because of who I was born as. I was born as a sinner. Sexual immorality was a part of who I was outside of Christ. I didn't learn it. It was in me. It didn't come from the outside. It came from the inside. So I need to be rescued. I needed to be saved. Whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Oh, there's a judgment? There is. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You can't do anything in God unless he first turns on that light. And Jesus is the light of the world who comes into the world to make us his church. And at that place, it's from that point where we can say, I have a new desire. I want what's right. I still have flesh. I still have temptation. I still have the capacity for sin. But my wanter, W-A-N-T-E-R, my wanter has been changed. I used to want the wrong things. Now I have a new desire. The flesh is still there. He's got to be crucified. And when I don't crucify him, I'll repent for that sin. Awake, O sleeper. Who is he saying that to? Well, theologians argue whether or not that's, that verse was intended and Paul meant that, the Holy Spirit meant that for the lost world in that moment. Others say he was directing it toward the church. I say, why not both? If you're a saint, wake up. Wake up. If you've, if you've grown accustomed and you've grown normal to sexual immorality in your life, wake up. Arise from the dead. You're not totally spiritually dead, but this is not a safe, wise, or healthy place. Wake up. Repent and eradicate it. Enjoy the feast that the Lord has set at his table. If you don't know the Lord, if you don't walk with the Lord, and you're going, I do live in sexual immorality, wake up. Christ loves you, and he does not condemn you. You're already condemned, so be rescued by the love and by the grace of God. He loves you. He's not holding you at bay, going, clean up, clean up your act, and then you can come into my house. He's saying, I'll rescue you, I'll clean you, I'll make you new. That's it. I'm the doer. I am the miracle worker. It's not about stop the sexual immorality and now you're allowed in my house. It's you've got to be made new. You can't stop anything. You can't do anything. Choose to bend the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ in full and true submission and humility and say, my life is yours. Rescue me from my condemnation. I love you. I worship you. And he says, you're made new. And now we walk out. What does it look like to walk it out? Oh, I can't do that anymore. I won't look at that anymore. I'm, I'm avoiding that website now. I'm avoiding that relationship. I'm moving out of this house. I'm, I'm asking her to marry me. All these things start to step into place. And I go, there's a right way now to live like my father, to be an imitator of God as a dearly beloved child. Live like your father, carry his light, leave every kind of sexual sin, and don't be deceived. Avoid the wrath of God. Don't unite with the sons of disobedience, and Christ will shine on you in even a greater measure, and you'll be fit for all of his kingdom work. That's what we want. That's what we signed up for. A soldier in battle, he doesn't have time for nonsense. He doesn't have time for civilian affairs. We've got a greater work that goes beyond my, my preference and the momentary thing that I may feel like I'm giving up. The Lord has a rich feast prepared at the marriage table, at the, in, the, in the marriage bed for his people. 
All other things, all other temptations or distractions, they're lies, they're unhealthy and they're unhelpful. And on top of this, this is one of the many ways that we carry our light into the world. Say there's a wholeness, there's a truth, there's a goodness and there's a beauty. God is a healer, God is a forgiver and God loves us. This is good news. You haven't heard any bad news today. Not, not one piece of what you've heard today was bad news. No matter where you are, when you don't know what kind of sin I got. No, no, I'm assuming the worst. I'm assuming the worst about all of you. I'm assuming all of you are lost in deep, deep, deep sexual sin. And I've given you nothing but good news today. No matter how, oh, it's so depraved. It's so dark. Jesus' blood is not intimidated by your sin. He is not afraid. And his forgiveness and kindness extends. So bring it to the cross. Let's do that together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the kindness that you've offered through the cross, for the forgiveness that you've given to us through the blood of Jesus. Our sins in the past, our sins in the present, our sins in the future, were all taken care of that day on the cross. But still we repent of our sins, Lord. We turn from it. God, protect us from that temptation. Deliver us from all of the evil. We want to live for your kingdom, your will, and your glory. God, reveal whatever is lacking in us, wherever our love has been cold. It's our temptation to look at the specifics. I got to stop this. I got to stop that. I got to stop this. But you started it all off on the right foot. Be an imitator of your father because you are a dearly beloved child. So for those of you who are not yet a dearly beloved child, if you don't yet know and walk with the father, know that he really does love you. You're saying, I I am a sexual idolater. I've lived sexually immoral lifestyle. I'm living in one now, perhaps. God's not intimidated. The invitation is not just stop your sin. The invitation is come to the cross and yes, also turn from all kinds of sin. This is just one of a million. This isn't the only thing that can keep me out of heaven. Ultimately, what keeps me out of heaven is not bending my knee and submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. God has a way of dealing with your sin and his name is Jesus. It's not punishing you. I thought we had to burn for all eternity. That's only for those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ and don't respond to the grace of God. So you can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved in true humility and faithfulness. I encourage you to do that. If you've got questions about that, if you want help with that, if you're saying, man, I feel like I'm at the door, but I don't know how to get inside, you can talk to me or any other believer that you know here in the church. And we would love to walk with you, to pray with you, to encourage you. You won't say a thing that will surprise us or shock us. And we will be able to walk with you together towards his kingdom best. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the promise of love and faithfulness that you've shown us through Christ. The pleasing aroma who gave himself for us all. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.